0: Cool J is hard as hell. Battle anybody, I don't care. You down I excel. They all Gonna
1: double Trauma code to New York City, trauma code to WBAI. I am Dr. Simon Fitzgerald, a Brooklyn trauma surgeon and surgical intensivist.
2: And I am Dr. Cassandra Raphael, an adult and child psychiatrist.
1: Welcome to Trauma Code. Together, we will focus on healing of mind, body, and community from trauma.
2: We'll discuss how wellness fits into the culture at large. Join us on Monday at 2 p.m. on WBAI.
1: Welcome back to Trauma Code. This is Dr. Simon Fitzgerald, live and in studio, the knife at the gunfight here at WBAI. Uh, And that song was, of course, LL Cool J, originally from Queens, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, And that song, Rock the Bells, uh, this weekend, I guess, was the Rock the Bells Festival uh, at Forest Hills in Queens with... uh, Uh, including a set of The Roots with LL Cool J, What's Left of De La Soul, and Run DMC were there, I believe, along with Queen Latifah and a whole slew of the queens of hip-hop. Anyway, just a little bit of culture uh, in your ears. Uh, So that was Saturday, uh, and I guess even Sunday was, uh, you know, I guess we're the 50th anniversary of the uh, beginning of the whole hip-hop movement. On Sunday, there was another concert in in, uh, Brooklyn, um, down at the end of the line, Coney Island, and I think CL Smooth was there. So we'll play a little uh, uh, Pete Rock and CL Smooth before we start the next part of our show. Um, so that was Saturday and Sunday, and of course yesterday, Sunday, was also Hiroshima Day. People listening on the radio may have heard that uh, news um, as part of the transition from the last hour. Um, and uh, really an unimaginable um Destruction, the first time that the atomic weapons were used on civilian population, used on humans. Um, tens of thousands died instantly. Well over 100,000 died subsequently. Um, and just a reminder of you know, the, the potential that's still out there for a nuclear war and, and that kind of destruction if, if we don't move with purpose to prevent it. Um, but while we're talking about burns, today's show is going to be a discussion of uh, what's been going on in Arizona uh, with this particularly kind of brutal heat spell that they've had this year um, and uh, the uh, prevalence of contact burns, people who fall onto the hot pavement um, struggling to get up in time without suffering significant burns. So we're going to have on uh, Dr. Lord Custanan of uh, the University of Arizona in Tucson and then hopefully in the second half of the show, Dr. Kevin Foster uh, from the Arizona Burn Center in Phoenix. Um, so why don't we uh, move on in with uh, a little musical interlude while we get our guest, our first guest, uh, Dr. Lord on all set up. And, and while we get that set up, uh, uh, just a reminder that, uh, you know, if you appreciate Trauma Code, we appreciate you. Um, and in order to uh, bring you this show, uh, we need to keep our station going, pay the rent, pay for the transmitter. Uh, and that can be done online at WBAI. Uh, .org, the, the donate button, uh, give to, WBAI.org, uh, uh, that's the number two, uh, or the pledge line uh, at, they hit it from me now, 212-209-2950. Again, 212-209-2950. So let's go into a little bit of CL Smooth and Pete Rock, and then we'll have on Dr. Lord Castanon to Trauma Code. Again, this is Dr. Simon Fitzgerald live and in studio. And uh, apologies, I didn't mention if you were listening to hear the lovely voice of my co-host, Dr. Cassandra Raphael. She can't make it. She has other clinical obligations today. Um, But we have on the line from Tucson, Arizona, the director of the University of Arizona Burn Center. Uh, Correct me if I get anything wrong. Uh, And also a graduate of uh, SUNY Downstate here in Brooklyn, Dr. Lord Costanon. Are you with us?
2: Yes, I am. Thank you for having me today.
1: Uh, and first of all, correct my pronunciation Now's your, your your best opportunity if I get anything wrong uh, factually or in terms of pronunciation.
2: Not a problem. Thank you.
1: Um, so thanks again for joining us. And uh, you're um, out there in Arizona, and people who have been ta- paying attention um, may have noticed that uh, a whole lot of, of records are being broken this year. Um, globally in terms of the hottest, you know, days and months uh, of all time, in something like 100,000 or hundreds of thousands of years, but also heat records um, around the world and around the country, and particularly in Arizona, right, has had quite a long, dry, hot um, heat spell. Um, And I reached out to you because I noticed uh, that there was a kind of a change in the pattern of kind of patients that were being seen with burns down there in Arizona. Uh, Is that right?
2: That is correct. Uh, summer tends to be hot in Arizona in general, but this year has been more than usual. Uh, last year, we broke a couple of records. This year, we're breaking even more. We just had a heat spell of 31 consecutive days where the temperature was over 110 degrees. Wow. And yeah, with that comes different patient populations. Again, we expect it to be hot out there. We expect some burns either from... From Hiking or falling but it's it's we have not been able to get a break and with the monsoons not coming on time, uh, our number of patients admitted from heat related um, injuries have increased significantly where I would say it 's probably increased greater than thirty three we 're almost hitting that forty percent mark
1: uh, well and, and you know in reading news about what 's going on it was the first time I realized that that monsoon phenomenon was significant for uh, the American Southwest. Um, but, you know, what kind of, of burns are you seeing is, is what I recall reading and hearing about is a significant number of contact burns, people who are kind of falling on the ground uh, and just the contact it takes in terms of the time to get up is resulting in second or even third degree burns.
2: That is correct. So for the most part, most of our admissions tend to be children or the elderly or individuals with multiple comorbidities. Um, they tend to have thinner skin or the kids and elderly, for the most part, have thinner skin. So even just a short amount of contact with either hot asphalt or even touching the car or the steering wheel will cause significant burns. Wow. And then we also have um, homeless individuals who are out in the streets, again, polysubstance abuse, or even just being outside, the ambient temperature has been recorded to about 110, 115 um, just to give you an idea, it's so hot that if you put a thermometer on the floor, it's reached 160, 180 sometimes uh, and around mid-afternoon.
1: Wow. So uh, are we seeing a lot of these patients in the intensive care unit with you know significant burns that need to be um, cutting off the dead skin and, and grafting on new skin grafts?
2: We have had a combination. So most of the patients that are being admitted to the ICU had had some sort of fall. And first, it's the dehydration, the heat shock, um, so their internal body temperature is pretty high. That on top, that they're in contact with the hot asphalt or a surface, and you'll get second-degree, third-degree burns. And what's what's really crazy, again, being a New Yorker, I had not seen this before, is the asphalt gets so hot when they fall, they fall on one side, and then when they're trying to be moved, they fall to the other side. They move them, so now they have burns on the other side that it's being placed in contact. So, yes, and it, it's a combination. It's the contact burns, it's the the heat shock, um, the dehydration, and all the electrolyte imbalances that come along with that.
1: Wow. And, um, you know, this is the first that I remember hearing about. Obviously, you can have contact burns from hot surfaces, you know, relating to heating elements or kind of chemical burns. But this is the mm-hmm. f- first I remember hearing about this phenomenon of people just being burned on the asphalt. Now, as you mentioned, you know, being from being in New York from the Northeast, um, that's not obviously entirely new um, in, in Arizona. So what is the history of this? How much of this is expected and how much of this is unprecedented for you guys?
2: So we do get a a few early in the summer, but then by uh, maybe May, June is when the monsoon season starts, and that's when we have very heavy uh, rains, and that tends to cool off the asphalt. Um, This year, there has been a delay and the weather being so hot. Some The monsoon hits, but it, it automatically evaporates very quickly. Mm. And we've actually had some days where there's thunder outside, but there's no rain
1: because mm. everything
2: evaporates even before it hits our atmosphere. Wow. So in the past, we've had mostly problems with elderly individuals who have fallen and had difficulty finding someone getting them up or with individuals who have diabetes who are using improper shoes. But this time, we have healthy young individuals that are out in the sun, not realizing how hot it is. Again, uh, we have a lot of tourists that come for the hiking experience, not realizing how hot it is midday. They become dehydrated. They go into heat shock, and then they fall and come in with contact burns as well.
1: Uh, So now as we find ourselves in early August, um, you know, has the monsoon season really hit? Is this still a problem that you're ha- having or has it started to transition away from the early summer heat that you were describing?
2: So the monsoon was late. <laughs> um, it, it came almost two months late for us. Um, it's starting now and this is what finally gave us that break from 31 consecutive days of hmm. temperatures over 110. So it's still hot but not as hot because rain will take some of that heat away.
1: And uh, has there been any discussion about what, um, you know, obviously this is happening in the context of a changing global climate, right? I think um, mm-hmm. Antonio Guterres at the uh, United Nations, I think he either coined it or popularized the term of global boiling to describe sort of a transition from a slow-moving process into an acute crisis Um And, you know, as we're seeing sort of, you know, the floor turn into lava that can burn uh, even healthy individuals, Um, is there talk about what this means for um, the present and the future for, uh, you know, people taking care of burns in the American Southwest?
2: So there's a couple of interventions that they're trying to put in place. Our mayor just uh, last year when we had that first heat wave wanted to plant more trees. It's interesting because if you're out in the sun and then you go into a shaded area, it's actually 20 degrees cooler. So implementing more shaded areas, more trees would be incredibly helpful. And that's one of the, the moves that she's trying to implement. I think she had a goal of planting a million trees by, I think, two or three years from now. Um, so that's certainly one. And then, obviously, heat conservation and having more more um, outside areas that provide air conditioning and, and some sort of shade for our homeless population or, or anyone who's out, out in the street.
1: Hmm. Um, and, you know, it, it's been uh, an, an idea that I've been kind of thinking about uh, in both kind of the academic and just in the popular conversations among surgeons um, is the, the trauma of climate change, what, you know, what is that going to mean in terms of, of our patients and our communities changing the type of um, you know, tra- traumatic illnesses and if we're including burns in that? Um, is there been any, any discussion that you know about in sort of um, discussing or documenting, formalizing uh, an understanding of, of how this changing climate is changing the trauma burden of our communities?
2: I know that there has been some talks with how dramatic and how quickly uh, global warming is happening and, and the effects of it. Uh, I know the American Burn Association has is it, starting to just start a task force and they're paying more attention to this. He's uh, is trying to incorporate burn as part of the uh, training for acute care surgeons. I don't think they have anything formalized yet. I know that they're still in, in, in talks. Hmm.
1: Um, and, you know, anything else that, um, you know, uh, talking with uh, the New York audience that uh, you want to make sure people understand about what's been going on in Arizona this summer?
2: Um, so one of the interesting things coming from New York is that it it's hot, but it's a dry heat. So, um, it's not the same type of temperatures and heat exhaustions that you get from a humid place. So think of of being close to a convention open, right? It's pretty hot, but it's a dry heat. Um, I would say that's the main difference between being in the northeast and being down here in, in in terms of, like, the exposure. So as long as you're in a shaded area, it's not as terrible. But, again, the ambient temperature has been pretty high as well. Um I would say if you are coming to the Northeast, be prepared for it. It's wonderful to be here around uh, the winter time because our temperatures run in the 80s and 90s, but it's a pleasant 80s and 90s. Um, but be careful if you're going hiking or you're coming um, to this region in the middle of the summer.
1: Um, all right. And um, anything else you want to say about you know these um, these patients? How uh, how severe are these burns? Um, you know, are, are people dying because of the, the burden of the burns? Um, are people um, – how long is it taking to recover or is this just part of sure. people having the burden of, of heat exhaustion and then falling, things like this?
2: So there's a combination of things. Um, for our elderly, they're at high risk of falls to begin with. Um, so making sure that someone's paying attention to all elderly, that you're checking up on them. The other thing is those who use multiple medications, we don't realize, but the metabolism of a lot of those meds change. Um, what comes to mind is some individuals will have like pain patches or blood pressure patches, like a catapress patch or a fentanyl patch for pain, not realizing that being out in the heat, um, that will melt and will actually increase the dosage that's being delivered so some of our falls have been related to mm-hmm. these sorts of medications that are absorbed transcutaneously and then um, alcoholism and methamphetamines also play a role especially in arizona um, some of the methamphetam- um, the meth is contaminated with fentanyl so uh the patients will receive a double dose will become unconscious and will not be able to realize what's happening to the body in in the hot environment
1: well wow. and um what what's the you know recovery uh like especially for the the really young in terms of um you know disfigurement or rehabilitation getting back on their feet
2: So I would say um, when the patients are initially admitted, a lot of the times the burn itself becomes secondary uh, unless there's significant muscle damage. And we've seen third-degree, even fourth-degree burns where the burns have been deep down to and including muscle or tendon. Um, Obviously, this requires a reconstruction, but the immediate is the acute organ failure that they go into. So uh, liver issues, kidney issues, um, and then just uh, making sure they don't go into uh, full kidney failure. Once they're stabilized, we take them to the operating room, and depending on how deep the burns are, could either be a stage or a skin graft. Um, And the very deep burns, again, if somebody falls down, let's say, on their back, and you have some damage to the soft tissue of the gluteal areas, for example, that requires a little more reconstruction, a little bit more padding. So, And, again, it's a full array from superficial second to fourth-degree burns, and we treat accordingly.
1: All right. Anything else um, that you want to share with our audience about this topic?
2: Um, I think we covered a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, no, I think that um, – Sunscreen lotion is important. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. One more thing. Please. Um, another uh, population that is at high risk is day labors. So individuals who work in the fields or construction sites. Um, again, you're working a lot. You're not realizing how hot it is. Um, you start sweating, and once you stop sweating, that's when it becomes a problem. Um, and we've noticed a lot of uh, a good number of our admissions are also work related. Um, today is August 7th for us. It's the first day of school for our elementary school uh, children. So we made sure we spoke to the schools that the playgrounds are potential danger, that if they're not in a shaded area, they should probably try to avoid having children going there or have an adult test, test the playgrounds before they allow the kids there. Um, And again, we encourage most of the schools to have shaded areas for the kids that are waiting for the school bus. So a lot of implementations, a lot of prevention. um, Make sure we always tell the kids to wear hats and sunscreen.
1: Great. And you know, um, whenever I have a guest on, I like to to give you an opportunity for any kind of cultural recommendation, uh, movie, music, uh, book, art, performance, anything like that. and I'm not sure if I gave you enough of a chance to prepare so while I give you a moment to think about that um, one of the one of the topics related to burn that I find is really underappreciated um, w- one in general population but even among surgeons and probably even among um, you know probably probably the burn surgeons know this but even among um, physicians who are learning and taking care of burn patients is about the history of the modern uh, management of burns which I, as I understand it I'm trying to remember i didn't write down the the name um but uh the the, you know the strategy strategy you just talked about taking care of burn patients quickly taking off cutting away the dead um tissues and quickly grafting uh skin as quickly as possible onto it as i understand started um from uh yugoslavian burn surgeons particularly a woman whose name is escaping me right now i think she was slovenian um uh, are you familiar with that history you know you know who i'm referencing
2: um, I know that there's been a couple of studies. I think after the, the earliest ones that I can think of is about 50 years ago in which they, there was a lot of watch and wait or debris 20% at a time. But over time it's been shown that again, it's like an abscess, right? You need source control as soon as possible. So the earlier you remove that dead tissue, the better it is.
1: Right. And any, um, any music books, anything else that you want to recommend to our audience while you have the ear?
2: Uh so in my operating room whenever we have a, a nice case we listen to mana because we're in Tucson. It's um it's Mexican pop. <laughs> and uh in terms of artists, my favorite artist is James Hens. He does a lot of uh combinations of uh uh, Disney characters. Um, so, for example, he has a character up dressed as uh, Star Wars. We're huge Star Wars fans, so I love his art. Um, and then movies. Um, I, oh my God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna admit to it, but I really love the Barbie movie.
1: <laughs> I haven't made it after myself.
2: Yeah, no, it, it's actually pretty great. It, it's, it was, it's a good movie.
1: Excellent. And um one of my uh I think one of my residents who's listening right now looked it up and sent me a, a text messaging about the pioneering work of Dr. Zora Janzekowitz. Um mm. a, and uh a like I said a, a a woman a surgeon in Maribor Yugoslavia which I think is now Slovenia um starting in the late 60s started to develop the the modern aggressive management of burn treatment. Um so, to me, when any of the sort of Soviet, or I guess, you know, that was, I guess the, the relationship between Yugoslavia and the Soviet Union is a little more complicated, but any of that sort of Soviet bloc um, experience that we incorporated into our modern life is always kind of fascinating to me and how that history is lost, mm-hmm. um, and especially how this is uh, a woman from so many years ago when there were so few probably female burn surgeons in the world uh, really changed our management and is not given adequate credit, in my, in my opinion. Very
2: nice. I'm, I will add one more thing. Um, the world of burn has changed dramatically. Um, I would say in the last two to three years, um, when we had the big fires, especially in Australia, there was a physician by the name of Fiona Woods who uh, put together uh, resell Autalia's aerosolized skin grafting, in which you take... Um, pretty much a quarter size of skin, and you make that into aerosolized cells. And instead of graphing 2 to 1, 3 to 1, 4 to 1, 10 to 1, that has an expansion of 80 to 1.
1: Huh. So, big so changes- now you're
2: taking a lot less skin and covering a much larger area, and you're closing these wounds much faster. There's also a cosmetic advantage to it, especially if you're using a smaller mesh so it it's completely changed the way we do burns now.
1: And that that's incorporated into your practice now in the current Oh,
2: absolutely. And Excellent. we've incorporated that into complex wounds as well, such as necrotizing soft tissue infections. We just had a 75% degloving injury um, from an infection, and we were able to close them wow. very quickly and, and with really good cosmetic results.
1: And for our non-medical audience, degloving is, is I don't want to be too graphic, but sure. if the skin <laughs> is taken off like a, like it was an item of clothing, like a glove. Uh, so you that can imagine hurt. the wound that's left is a... Is, uh, is a big problem and has to be taken care of to allow someone to get back, to get back on their feet, as we say. Um, Correct. Well, D- Dr. Castanon, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you joining with us. Um, and I think we're going to take a little musical break and then maybe check in with, uh, with our colleagues in Phoenix.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. And uh, have a wonderful summer.
1: <laughs> Thanks so much.
0: You're not nice, why? And you don't care.
1: Welcome back to The Trauma Code. This is Dr. Simon Fitzgerald, live and in studio, WBAI in New York City. Uh, and we were just talking to Dr. Lord Castanon, a uh, director of burn surgery in Tucson, Arizona, about uh, the contact burns that she's been seeing. Uh, and we have also on the line now Dr. Kevin Foster from the uh, Arizona uh, Burn Center in Phoenix, Arizona. Dr. Foster, are you with us?
3: I am with you. Thank you for having me. My pleasure did I get
1: that right? Yes, that's correct. Um, and uh, I've uh, you're one of the people that's uh, been on the news actually quite a bit um, this year on um, national media talking about the pattern of contact burns, especially um, in in Arizona. And we spoke with Dr. Costastanan a little bit about what's been going on in Tucson. but as I understand things are even uh, worse in some ways in Phoenix right with the heat island effect.
3: Yeah, with the heat island effect, and our population is much larger than in, in Tucson. And our burn center, uh, you know, we take transfers in from all over the state, and we cover a, a big part of New Mexico also. So I think our numbers are uh, quite a bit higher.
1: So t- tell us about um, these injuries that we're seeing um, with these contact burns, and, and how different is this year from a typical year in Phoenix?
3: Yeah, so um, this is pretty um, pretty usual for us. We we anticipate that we're going to see uh, a large number of contact burns during the hot summer months, and we have not been uh, surprised by that uh, this year. I will say that our numbers, our overall numbers, are quite a bit higher than usual, uh, and that's even taken, taking into account the fact that we've had 30-plus days of contact uh, Above 110 degrees uh, um, temperature, um, so there, there is definitely something going on in terms of the numbers are greater, and the seriousness of the injuries, the acuity of the injuries, is greater than what we what we normally see. So numbers are higher, and the patients are sicker.
1: Yeah, and that, the music that we just played uh, for our audience was uh, Bruce Springsteen, right? Streets of Fire. And I put that up because uh, you were the, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, the senior author on a 2019 uh, academic article um, called Streets of Fire Revisited about the trend of contact burns comparing what was going on in, uh, in uh, Phoenix in 2019 compared to, I think, something like 1995. Is that right? That's correct. Can you um, tell us a little bit about your findings at that time? And, and I don't know if you've... Um, if you guys have been paying attention to the data, and, and how does you know what would the update be for 2023? Looking at that same question,
3: right? So um, we're definitely seeing a a spike in the number of heat related uh, burn injuries, uh, particularly over the last five years. We really started to pay attention to it uh, during the first summer of COVID uh, because we we really saw a spike in the number of uh, uh, patients, particularly elderly patients, who were getting contact burns. And then since that time, our numbers have continued to increase uh, yearly, uh, even at a greater rate than would be anticipated just simply by population growth. So there's, there's something else going on. It's been interesting to watch how things have sort of changed over the last five years because initially we started paying attention because it was mostly elderly patients who went down. Uh, uh, they fell down um, because of ambulation issues, were unable to get up, and ended up with really bad burns, and oftentimes uh, the systemic effects of, of high temperature and, and heat, heat stroke issues. Um, but over the last uh, couple of years, what we're really seeing is a much larger population of patients who are using methamphetamine. And uh, right now it appears that uh, a lot of the methamphetamine in Arizona uh, is also uh, contaminated with, um, with fentanyl. Right. And that tends to make people lose consciousness. And oftentimes they're alone and nobody's there to help. And so they lay on uh, hot pavement, concrete rocks, a hot surface. Uh, and suffer really bad burns, and at the same time, also bake in the sun. Um, And that's something that people often forget about is that it's not just the ambient temperature here, which is a big enough problem, but it's also the direct bright sunlight that really contributes to um, heat-related injury. And so the populations that we're seeing, they've shifted a little bit over the last uh, uh, three, four, or five years.
1: And, you know, as I recall that um, the, the article you guys wrote in 2019 pointed out that there appeared to be a difference in um, temperature um, of several degrees between the 1995 data and the 2019 data. Um, you know, if we were to extrapolate that, would we see the, the continuing increase in the ambient temperature? And how much is that the, the cause of the worsening burns?
3: Yeah, so uh, the data that we had from that particular paper demonstrate a clear increase in the mean temperature during the summer months of June, July, and August uh, during that uh, three-year period of time that we looked at compared to any three-year time period of time prior to that. So that was certainly the case um, in that report. Um, we have not done that detailed of an analysis analysis um, Uh, over the last couple of years, Uh, we we definitely need to go back and do that. But it appears as if uh, the overall temperature um, is not changing, the the high is not getting that much higher, but it looks like we're uh, seeing um, greater than 110 degree temperatures uh, more often and for a longer period of time. So uh, although our peak or high temperature does not seem to be increasing the overall temperature, does seem to be uh, hotter during these summer months. But I, I can't verify, the, verify that for sure for the last three years. Right.
1: Um, and um, as I mentioned with uh, Dr. Costanon, that um, recently uh, Antonio Guterres, the head of the of the UN, uh, either coined or popularized the term uh, global boiling to describe this summer, as opposed to what we've been talking about, global warming, previously. Um, and that, that imagery of that and, like, the, the asphalt underneath us turning into lava has really been striking me. Um, and uh, so I, I would be very curious to see, and I, I would, would not be surprised at all, if this is sort of the, the morbidity of climate change uh, in, in Arizona.
3: Right, yeah. Um, uh, certainly it, it looks like we're hotter long for a longer period of time. As I said before, it doesn't look like our peak temperature is getting any higher than what it uh, has been in the past. And I would like to point out that this summer has been really unique because June was a very cool month. Um, Usually uh, June ends up being the hottest month, uh, the highest temperatures. Uh, July and August tend to be the most miserable because our humidity goes up a little bit. But this year, June was very cool and we saw very few heat related injuries. But uh, July has made up for that. significantly and as i pointed out almost the entire month of july each day has been greater than 110 degrees which is unusual
1: wow um, and i um phrase this, this question to dr costanzo and it's been um, been bouncing around my head recently and thinking about how the world is changing and, and even just in terms of our academic especially how the burden of disease uh, particularly of trauma and particularly of burns is changing uh, with a changing environment and a changing climate, I'm not sure that's so much of a question. Is something that um, it would be interesting to think about and collaborate and and to see that question answered. You know, with the due diligence of really understanding what the future holds for us as uh, as you know trauma specialists as as medical specialists.
3: Yeah, I agree with you. We're actually working with uh, several different uh, organizations in in Phoenix right now, looking at heat related injury. Uh, trying to define uh, the magnitude of the problem and you know projecting where we're going to be in the future and what do we need uh, what do we need to do I mean th- this was a tough this is a tough summer for us because we are uh, we're not at the end of our resources but we're close hmm. and um, another year or two of increasing uh, numbers of heat related injuries and uh, serious burn injuries and people with really really high acuity injuries, is probably going to push us beyond our comfort level in terms of resources both people and uh, material
1: right and we're all not so far from removed um from that uh you know the the covid crisis in which we really ran out of resources and had to start calling all of our friends and contacts to try to get you know what was missing um, so I don't. I know it got pretty bad in Arizona. I know here in Brooklyn I have very distinct memories of feeling like entering a new stage of scarcity. So uh, hopefully it doesn't get to that point.
3: Yeah, I agree. Um, we are definitely going to have to plan for it. Uh,
1: anything else about this topic that you want to say while you have the ear of uh, of New York City?
3: Yeah, a couple of things. First of all, I did happen to hear your interview, and the uh, uh, young lady from Yugoslavia that you were trying to think of, her name is Zora Janzakovic
1: excellent thank you and
3: yeah and she uh, really was the person who was responsible for converting um, uh, the treatment of burn injury from just a medical um, watch and wait sort of issue into a surgical issue and uh, that has really probably been the single most important advancement in in burn care in the last hundred years and, um, that ended up being popularized by, in the United States, by the gentleman who trained me, um uh, uh, doctors, uh, David Heimbach and Lauren Engrav at the University of, uh, of Washington in, in Seattle. Cool. And, and, that wasn't so long ago. That was in right. my lifetime that we really started to treat, uh, burns as a surgical disease back in, in the, in the mid eighties. So, um, and, and then I guess on this particular topic, um, almost all these burns are preventable, and it only takes a little bit of thought ahead of time. Um, So obviously we tell people don't go outside in the hot afternoon if you have to go out, make sure you wear protective clothing. Make sure you, um, if you have to stay outside, for instance, if you're a, um, a worker, if you have to stay outside, take frequent breaks, get into the shade, drink lots of water, get into the air conditioning if you can. Uh, again, wearing protective clothing, particularly um, footwear, is very important. Uh, we really want to warn people at the extremes of age, uh, young kids and elderly patients, because they are particularly susceptible uh, populations. And, uh, you know, uh, it's a tough thing to say, tough thing to do, but, uh, you know, stay away from alcohol and drugs uh, during this period of time, because that seems to be one of the biggest risk factors for us this summer.
1: Excellent. And uh, whenever I have a guest on, I like to give you the opportunity to share some cultural um, piece, uh, music, movie, art, um, a book. Um, and I didn't give you a, a fair warning, so I'll give you a moment to think and just say it. The next song that we're going to play after uh, we talk is going to be um, Dave Brubeck's Take Five. I find that um his music, along with some other kind of upbeat jazz, contemporary uh, stuff from that era, to be really good for the operating room. Doesn't offend anybody. Doesn't put anyone to sleep. Uh, has a nice atmosphere and keeps us focused.
3: Yeah, I agree. I've been a, a big fan of uh, you know mid 20th century jazz for a, for a long time. Um, uh, Dave Brubeck, of course, and uh, you know John Coltrane and uh, a variety of other. Uh, people also. I agree with you. It is uh, nice to uh, have in the operating room. And uh, I think people usually talk about movies and music. And I'll just bring up uh, my favorite artist. I'm sitting in my office right now, and he's a guy by the name of Edward Hopper. Uh, He did mostly watercolors at at the turn of the 19th century. Um, A lot of his uh, paintings were done in um, um, either... uh, um, Uh, rural new york or in in the city itself and uh, they all are very beautiful and they all have something that's just a little bit off that makes you look at them for just a little bit longer period of times
1: wow uh well uh dr foster anything else before we uh let you off the line
3: no thank you so much i really appreciate you letting us get the message out there and um uh, be safe and uh thank you again
1: well, we appreciate your work, and we look forward to any of the updates that you have uh, for us. Um, Very good. All right. Thanks, thanks again for joining us. Um, Thank you. And we're going to have a, a little musical break here, uh, that song I mentioned, uh, Take Five by Dave Brubeck. Uh, and like we said, it wasn't so long ago, I remember seeing him live in Baltimore, probably around the year 2000. He must have been 80 years old and still had shops. To Trauma Code, this is Dr. Simon Fitzgerald.